0: Evening, folks. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. <clears throat> Once again, Facebook Live style. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> again, thanks for joining me. Truly a blessing to be able to share the word of God with you. And as we say every time we get together on Facebook live, we really look forward uh, to meeting again really soon looking forward to seeing everybody i would like for you especially those part of the calvary christian fellowship family to be praying with uh, church leadership as we are praying for the lord's guidance in opening up the doors for sunday morning worship Uh, so please be praying we're seeking god's counsel i do know that when we do come back uh, for our worship services that Uh, we will have the building ready to go we'll have the building cleaned and we will observe social distance guidelines Um, we will have people if you want to wear a mask you wear a mask Um, so we will follow all the guidelines necessary in that so please be praying Uh, I know a lot of people are really uh, ready and I can tell you I'm ready and but uh, we need to just follow the Lord's counsel. <clears throat> Tonight we are going to be jumping into the book of Mark. As you know, on Sunday mornings we have been uh, doing a Bible study in the book of Mark, and um, I believe the Lord's changing changing up some things. And on Wednesday nights we're going to be looking at Mark, and then on Sunday mornings, beginning this Sunday morning, <clears throat> Lord willing. Um, We'll begin looking at Matthew chapter 24. I believe the Lord uh, is really wanting the body of Christ to understand the timeline of end times. And so I think as we look at Matthew 24, Jesus has a lot to say about the things yet future, especially looking towards uh, the, the tribulation period. Um, and the timing and the certain events of that. So uh, again, Wednesday nights, we're going to be in the book of Mark. And then on Sunday mornings, beginning this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. So, you know, when it comes to end times, uh, we must have the proper perspective in that God certainly warns the world that he Jesus is coming again. <clears throat> For the body of Christ, that's a blessing. That's our blessed hope that we are, uh, God is going to take care of us as He is faithful. But there's going to be a time on earth known as the Great Tribulation, a last three and a half year of a seven year time period that Jesus said, like, there'll be like no other time like that. So I don't want to get too far ahead. But, anyways, the, God shows us the future. For us to be warned and to be prepared and to be blessed and all of that we we see God so if you would let's open our Bibles up to mark chapter 6 and as you're opening up your Bibles to mark chapter 6 I'm going to pray for us again it's so nice to see all of you I see mr. Shouse I see Millie and Jim and others great to even just see your names up here. There's Dane, and just God bless all of you. Can't wait to see some of you I have not seen in quite a while, and I can't wait for that. So Father, we come before you tonight just wanting to give you thanks for a time that we can come together, even on Facebook, and uh, Lord, we could come together for a Bible study. We know that your word doesn't change, whether we're here in person or uh, even through Facebook, Lord. So uh, we're asking tonight, Lord, for your Holy Spirit uh, to speak to our hearts, to show us things of our lives, Lord, that you're wanting to do, and that, Lord, you are our great shepherd, the good shepherd who leads us. And, Lord, we want to hear what you what You have said and what the Holy Spirit speaks to us now, Lord. And so, Father, would you just uh, be with us this hour, help us to have a great Bible study to just know that we've heard from you and to pour our lives out to you, God, just in a a time of thankfulness, Lord. And Lord, we know all that's going on in this world, Lord. We know that you're in control. We know that as we're students of your word and those who follow you, Lord, we are ready for your return. And so, Lord, would you encourage us tonight on how you want to use us as we live in this fallen world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we come to Mark chapter 6, verse 14, it reads, And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And so we have King Herod. He is here the son of Herod the Great, and this Herod ruled from 4 B.C. until uh, A.D. 39, and at this particular time, remember that Jesus was becoming well-known. Herod has heard of him. And one rumor going around um, that Herod bought into was that Jesus uh, was actually John the Baptist who came back to life. And, uh, and then we see that others had different ideas of who Jesus is. And uh, I guess that's no different than what today brings us is that there are many different explanations of who Jesus was or who Jesus is. Uh, Some think that he was just a man. Some think that he was a myth. And some believe that he was a good prophet, a good moral teacher. But we know that from the word of God, we know that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the Son of God, the Son of Man. And so Herod, he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist risen. And you might think, well, why does he think that? Well, that's a good question. Let's move on. Verse 17 says, For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so for Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. So did you catch that? This Herod married the wife of his brother Philip. You're like, well, how does that happen? Well, sin of lust, lust, no doubt. And John the Baptist was telling King Herod the truth about his sin, telling him this lifestyle of sexual pleasure, marrying his, his, his brother's wife. It was wrong, and it was wrong to have this relationship with her. And so Herod, he's confused. He's listening to John. He knows that John's a holy man. He knows that uh, John is telling him the truth. But Herod is certainly trapped. He understands that his wife hates John the Baptist. And so Herod, uh, basically in a trap, and he protects John the Baptist, understanding that uh, he was living a life that was Uh, contradicting what was good and right. Moving on, it says in verse 21, A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And when she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, Saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oath and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent out an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and he had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it on a tomb. So, John the Baptist. Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest prophet. He he was one who stood up for the Lord. He stood up for righteousness, and he lost his life in this world. Again, Herod knew it was wrong for the lifestyle that he was living. He was under pressure from the world, and and that, you know, the people at this party at this banquet he gave his word up to half the kingdom uh, he would give to this uh, herodias and her her daughter so we see here with herod he developed or came to a place of having a dead conscience a dead conscience at least he we can say that he neglected his conscience he neglected what he knew what was right. So many people today neglect their conscience and they've suffered the progressive desensitation to God. And so, Herod is a reflection of so many people today, and that they hear the truth. They might hear that their lifestyle is wrong. They even might know the person telling them that their lifestyle is wrong, but yet, They neglect their conscience, and they act in a contrary way. And this is exactly what uh, King Herod did. And then because he had to keep the ways of the world, he had to keep his word, he had John the Baptist beheaded. And again, it's so important for us as believers, as the word of God tells us that we are to renew our minds continuously. It's so important what we fill our minds up with so that we don't lead down the road to a a neglected conscience that leads to a seared conscience. If I'm filling my mind up with the Word of God and the things of God, then I'm not going to neglect my conscience. You see, when I have the Word of God being implanted in my mind and my heart and I'm trusting in God, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to have His Word in my heart and I'm going to know what's right and what's wrong and then act on it. Uh, When we neglect that conscience, even before we became Christians, we had a conscience that would tell us. Everybody has the intuition, unless they're somehow incapable of doing so mentally or physically, uh, we we have the ability to know what's right and wrong. And you look at our culture now. We're living in a culture that is going uh, for a long time, Uh, a moral decaying uh, due to neglecting the conscience. Jesus said this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a question that man has to answer. What are we willing to give up for the gains of the whole world? Herod, he gave up his life. Essentially, he gave up any hopes of eternal life. God showed him the truth. He had John the Baptist in front of him, and he neglected his conscience. And so, uh, you know, it's John the Baptist here. I I believe, as he's one of the greatest prophets, here's a man who I believe uh, shows us what a successful ministry is. Not that fact that he just died or he was beheaded for the Lord, but he is a man who stood up to righteousness no matter what the cost would be. And that's that's a successful believer when we stand up for righteousness. You know, it's one thing to understand what we know, know what we believe. It's another thing to be steadfast and to stand up for what we believe no matter what the cost. And we can rest and be sure that When we are obedient to the Lord, when we fulfill our calling, there's going to be times where, well, it doesn't make sense, and there's going to be times that we might have to pay a price. But God is so faithful, and we look at John the Baptist. God was faithful to him. So now we're at verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And so this is interesting here. In verse 30, we now see the disciples are called apostles. And that is pointing to their specific calling in the Lord. They they were called to be sent out. An apostle means the one who is sent out or one being sent out. Now, just for a second here, imagine the emotions the disciples were living with. You know, they had been with Jesus, they witnessed Jesus performing miracles. Remember Jesus healed the man, uh, the synagogue official whose daughter had died and Jesus raised her. Remember the woman with a 12 year hemorrhage. She had gone to so many different physicians. She was absolutely broke, uh, you know, financially, emotionally, physically. And then she had faith that she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus and she believed that, that he would heal her and he did. And upon her confession, she was healed. And so the disciples witnessed these miracles. And then as they, as they saw those miracles, they, they came into Nazareth and they witnessed the unbelief from the people in in the hometown of Jesus in Nazareth. And then Jesus commissioned them, giving them wonderful insights and in their calling to go out and share the kingdom of God, to go out and share Jesus Christ with others. And so they do that. Um, and then they, they have this, uh, you know, horrible thing that happened to John the Baptist, uh, one in whom they knew that Jesus loved. And so they come back and they tell Jesus all the things that was going on, and they no doubt told him about John the Baptist. And so they're emotionally spent as uh, they're telling Jesus this. And verse 31, Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Now, that might not be language we uh, like on this evening, as I forget what day it is with this uh, time of seclusion or global shutdown, if you will. Uh, but Jesus told the disciples, come yourselves, come to a secluded place and rest for a while. And I believe this is a message for the disciples of Jesus today those who serve the Lord actively, which hopefully is all of us. You know, in the ministry as a disciple, we are continuously pouring ourselves out to people. You know, and there's times that the ministry can be tiring. It can weigh on you. Uh, It can be times of being drained emotionally through discouragement, and through crisis circumstances, but God always provides his enabling grace. And he uses times like this and what he's sharing with the disciples. And I pray that even in the midst of this coronavirus, and we have been, its what, 40-some days, we've been secluded. I'm, I'm praying that God has spoken to our hearts and more importantly that we've received what god's wanting us to see and being prepared and equipped to go out and to do the will of god and experiencing the grace of god i pray and i can't wait to hear the testimonies and how the grace of god has enabled you to endure this time that we're living in in our country and in this world you know, I, I look forward to those testimonies to see what God has done in your lives, to see what God's done in your families, to hear of uh, how God moved and, and to help you to witness to others and share the gospel with others and to pray with family members and all those things. It really should be a time of celebration when we come back testifying of this grace that we're talking about, the enabling grace of God that equips us. And as we see here, to give us rest. You know, we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples as the, the Lord has a word for every one of us. Jesus here, he's looking at them. He sees that they're tired. He sees that they're drained. You know, they're uh so so busy doing things here that they didn't even have time to eat. It says there at the end of verse 31, for there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. Now, how's that happen? Well, it, it can happen, I guess. So busy, so on the go for the Lord. And yet Jesus is telling them to rest. And I think this is important for us. Uh, Not just not being busy, but truly resting in the Lord. And I think there's a big difference. And I think Jesus explains this here. Notice here, Jesus instructs them, number one, the priority to rest. The Lord wants us to rest, meaning making deliberate decisions to rest. And maybe this has more meaning or more application, maybe a month or so down the road. But how important it is in your life as a disciple, in ministry, making deliberate decisions to rest, because we need that. And this is a big life principle here, because I think all of us could say that the busyness of life can whip us at times, physically, emotionally, and in the long run, leave us spiritually dry. And so when Jesus says rest, he's not saying don't be busy. He's wanting us to rest in a certain way. Um, He's not telling them to go home on leave and I'll call you for the next mission trip or the next mission that I'm going to call you on. Notice he says, come away by yourselves. It wasn't necessarily individual. It was pointing the disciples to be together and that through that and through their time with Jesus, they would be resting. And this... This has a direct application for you and I and how important it is for you and I to rest with other believers, to be connected with other believers, to be encouraged and to be built up in the Lord. And we do that by coming together. In fact, listen to what Hebrews 10 says. I know you know this, but I'm going to read it anyway to you. Hebrews 10 verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, what day is that? Well, that's the coming of the Lord. It's amazing that throughout the New Testament, how often it's made reference to the coming of the Lord. This is something the early church lived for. They believed that Jesus was coming very soon. And when you look at the different revivals throughout history, when the church is ready for the coming of the Lord, the Holy Spirit seems to move. And this should be our prayer let's be ready for the coming of the lord well how do we get ready how do we do that as a church as a body of believers well let's consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds when we come together in the work of the spirit we learn how to minister to one another and through that we're built up and then to go out and to minister to others you know sometimes the church gets a bad rap well when, we, when they, people claim, well, the church is all about the church and not about the lost. Well, the church needs to be about one another. We need to minister to one another to encourage one another. What oftentimes we find out when the church is loving one another, as the Bible tells us, encouraging, building up, then the Holy Spirit moves for the church to go out and to minister and to love the lost. But so, so vital that we come together And, you know, as it says there in Hebrews, um, you know, it really is when people don't put that a priority as believers, it's forsaking it. You know, very important um, to be connected with a fellowship of believers that build one another up and a desire to do the Lord's will. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see the Lord uh, giving his uh, commands to the church to become a large church, and that is the direction. No, the Lord tells us in the New Testament and the Great Commission we are to go out and make disciples, uh, loving them and then discipling them. That's the Lord's business, and that's what we should be doing until the Lord comes. And so when we go back to Mark chapter 6, as we see Jesus telling the disciples to rest. Verse 32, it says, And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves, and the people saw them going. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So you really see the disciples, they were tired. And you see that in a sense when Jesus looked at the multitude of people He had compassion on them. The disciples, mind you, not to make excuses for them, but they were tired. They were told to come and rest. And then the next thing you know, they're in the midst of a lot of people. And again, keep in mind as we're reading through this, I want us to capture that Jesus was teaching his disciples by real-life experiences. And I think that's so true for you and I. We can we can really dive into Bible study. And Bible study is awesome. It's like my most favorite thing to do. But if we're not taking what we learn and what the Holy Spirit teaches us through the Word and then go live it out, what are we really doing? And so Jesus is doing real-life experience, real-life discipleship with His disciples. And He's teaching them all along the way of how they need to trust him to trust Jesus and so once again he's, Jesus is teaching them some important aspects um, that we see a big contrast with the disciples and Jesus viewed the large crowds he saw them he had compassion on them and he began to teach them teach them well well teach them the kingdom of God teach them the things of his father Jesus uh had a different perspective the disciples they're ready to get all these people out of the way because it's late He's wanting them the Lord to send them away and uh, for them to you know buy themselves something to eat and then Jesus does something extraordinary here He says to them in verse 37 and he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Isn't that fascinating? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They're like, "Give? what do you mean give them something to eat? This is a large crowd. There's thousands of people here. It's a desolate place. It's late. There's no place open. What's the Lord showing here? Well, Jesus showing his disciples how inadequate in and of themselves they really are and really were, and how you and I, left to ourselves, we are inadequate to accomplish what the Lord wants to accomplish in and through us by our, by our own strength, our own perspective. And so here we have Jesus uh, you know, sh- sharing with them and getting ready to do an extraordinary thing with his disciples. Look what he says in verse 38. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Now notice the disciples here. We're taking part in the miracle. The Lord was providing the miracle and he gave the bread to the disciples to give to the people. And so man taking part in the miracle of God. Isn't that exciting? Let's make sure we understand here though. The miracle taking place, Jesus was giving the disciples the bread. The disciples weren't coming up with the bread on their own. Jesus was giving it to them. And this points to a wonderful truth. In order for you and I to take part in the miracles of God, to do the work of God, to do the work of the Lord, we absolutely need to be receiving from Jesus. We can only accomplish the Lord's will if we are being filled by the Lord. That's why it's so important, folks, to be praying daily for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Asking God for the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work of the Lord that He wants us to do and to bear witness to Jesus. You know, so many believers try and do things on their own and want to do great things for the Lord, but... uh, you know, sometimes you can get to a place where you want to do these things from the Lord, but you're not getting that intake. You're not receiving from the Lord. No man or no woman can do any more than what they receive from the Lord. And that's why it's so necessary, not only just asking for God's filling of the Spirit. We're already filled, right? We're filled when we come to the Lord. We're, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And There's times that God does wonderful things. Specifically, we're, we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit's upon us, and, and we bear witness of Jesus. But I'm under conviction if, if we ask for the Lord, acknowledging that we need the Holy Spirit each and every day, each and every morning to accomplish, then we're more apt to keep our eyes on Him, realizing that we need His strength, we need His power, we need His wisdom, we need His understanding, we need everything of the Lord. In, in and of ourselves, we have nothing to offer, the lost, but with the Lord, you know, the Lord tells us so many times to, to come to him and ask. And I know maybe there's some believers right now might be, might even be listening that how many times in your life have you felt lacking power, right? Just lack something to get the will of God done in my life. Well, maybe you're not receiving from the Lord. Maybe you need to sit at the feet of Jesus and intake from Him. You know, a couple of days ago, during my prayer time in the morning, uh, just praying, asking the Lord to help me to be focused. Uh, you know, in times like this, sometimes we might think we could be focused, but sometimes it's worse when we have a lot of distractions and uh, we're out of our comfort zone and, of being pulled in different directions and things are just different. And I don't know about you, I don't like different. We like to be comfortable and set in our ways and to just follow that pattern that we have in life. But when I asked the Lord to, Lord help me to be focused, I felt like the Lord telling me, focus on me, focus on me. And that's so important in so many aspects of our life if we just look to the Lord and don't worry about the task at hand Look to the Lord first, continually looking at him and the task that he gives us to do, they're going to be completed because we've rested in him and he's going to give us the strength. We receive that bread from him to do what he wants us to do. And so here the disciples, they did this. They received from the Lord 5,000 men ate the loaves with five loaves and two fish. And then verse 45 says, immediately, that's a favorite word of Mark, isn't it? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away and bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And so, uh I have to be honest here. When it says immediately, it's like, you know, you think about the disciples. They are uh, tired. Uh, they just taken part in a great miracle. No doubt they had to be pretty jacked up, pretty excited in the Lord. And perhaps they're thinking, well, maybe we're going to get the rest now. But it says immediately Jesus made his disciples. Jesus made his disciples to get on that boat can you just picture that Jesus as they're they're there done them you know the God fed the 5,000 Jesus fed the 5,000 and you know they're wanting to rest and Jesus makes them get on that boat not only that Jesus doesn't get on the boat with them. he goes up on the mount there and he prays and as we see he's praying over his disciples Um, you know If I was disciples, I would have have hung out with those 5,000 men and the multitude, Um, enjoy the fellowship, praising God together, enjoying what Jesus had done. So they're on the boat. They're going across. Jesus is up in the mountain uh, to pray. Verse 47 says, and when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him. And were terrified, but immediately he spoke with them and said to them, "Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid." Isn't that powerful? Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid." And those are precious words, precious promise to his disciples as they were fearful as they saw jesus but they they recognized him to be a ghost walking on the water and i don't know about where many of you are in the time of global shutdown when there is so much fear mongering going on you know it's a tact of the enemy to have god's people fear anything and perhaps the lord is wanting to tell each one of us tonight, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I believe that's such a blessing to know that our Jesus says this to you and I. Take courage. Do not be afraid. It it is I. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. We know what lies ahead in our time, don't we? And there's no reason to fear. In fact, we're blessed because we know what the Bible says about the end times. We understand the different things going around in our world today and how things are lining up for the return of Jesus Christ. Things are lining up for his church to be raptured. And in the midst of these days of darkness, um, and I'm not just talking about this global shutdown as being darkness. There is so much darkness out there. And we're seeing more and more, and we're going to read more and more about the open demonic activity that is going to fill this planet because of man's wicked ways. And with the enemy wanting to bring uh, fear, wanting to bring obviously that antichrist spirit, everything against God, we're going to see things leading up. And we'll start learning more of that uh, when we look at Matthew chapter 24 this coming Sunday. But whatever situation you might find yourself in, maybe it's finances. You know, there are a lot of people hurting through this economic challenge now from the coronavirus. There's a lot of people hurting financially and people that might not have gotten their unemployment checks. You know, struggling maybe to make that house payment or that rent or struggling in some fashion. Um, Maybe it's... uh, you know, maybe it's relationships with your family, whatever it might be, whatever you're struggling with, whatever has you down, open up your heart to Jesus and hear these words, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Amen? And then it says, then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves but their heart was hardened what does that mean here well what it means is that when Jesus fed the 5,000 when he took those five loaves and two fish and he passed them on to the disciples and then divided them up and Jesus provided for the 5,000 not only was he providing a need But he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching his disciples that they, just like we have already talked about, could not do the will of God without resting in him and receiving from him. Receiving from the Lord. They didn't get the lesson that Jesus was teaching. The lesson was to trust in the Lord. And their hearts became hardened. In verse 53 it says, And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. And wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. We learned many lessons in Mark chapter 6. And again, one thing that comes away to me is that the Lord is always teaching us as disciples. He's always Uh, teaching us the work of his ministry. And the work of the Lord's ministry is people-oriented. The disciples had a lot to learn when it came to the ministry or being in the kingdom of God and being his disciple. They had to learn to truly trust in Jesus, to come to that place where he was much more than a man or a prophet but He was the Son of God. He was the Master, the the Good Shepherd. And as they would sit with Him and take of Him and receive of Him as He is the bread of life, and to allow Him to penetrate their hearts, that they would indeed be able to accomplish all that He wanted to accomplish in their life. We also see here that God is always working. God is always working. There's never a time that the Lord takes a break, and we see that oftentimes in the ministry of Jesus. Yes, there were times that he w- stepped away from the disciples as we looked at here in Mark 6. He went on to pray, but he was always working. And for me, looking at these disciples, I can I can you know uh, resonate, or it resonates in my heart with them that as they were tired, how often are we tired in this life when we are so busy? Even in the work of the ministry, doing things for the Lord, You know, it can be tiring ministering to people and being discouraged. But when you share the love of God with them, when you try to disciple them and they get going, and then all of a sudden they don't want anything to do with God, that gets discouraging and that weighs on people. And I know you watching tonight and how you minister to people and pour into people, uh, when that happens, it, it becomes life-draining. It, it drains the life out of us. But nevertheless, when we keep our eyes on the Lord, we keep receiving. We might get tired, but we can continue doing the Lord's work. One scripture that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a scripture the Lord has spoken to me oftentimes, times of discouragement time of weariness, times of wondering where the heck the Lord is in the ministry. This is what the Lord says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, right there, that's powerful. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, knowing that your toil is Is not in vain in the Lord that's something the disciples had to learn it's something that you and I learn as we put to practice of what we learn in the scriptures and we go out and share the love of Christ with others and we disciple them and we live life with them and they might break our hearts but we still love them have compassion on them and we always have to remember It's the Lord's work in us. There's not one of us that have attained to any spiritual elite status. There's none of us that can do anything on our own. It's the Lord working in us. And as the Lord is in us and the power of the Holy Spirit, he tells us to not be movable, be immovable. And we must always understand the Lord is working and uh, his work is never, 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 not valued by him. And so we can't look to the ways of the world. We can't look at men for satisfaction. Our satisfaction of living as a disciple of Jesus Christ comes from the Lord himself. It's not even on the results. Yes, we want to see fruit in our lives, fruit in the ministry, but ultimately God has called us to faithfulness and obedience. And again, that's something the disciples had to learn, and we're going to see them learn that as we go through The gospel of mark well that concludes mark chapter 6 that concludes our wednesday night bible study i'm again so glad to see you i pray we're going to pray that you've been encouraged through this word i pray that god spoke a word to you specifically maybe he's telling you to rest maybe he's wanting you to be immovable maybe he wants you to get your eyes on jesus Maybe he doesn't want you to fear. Maybe he wants you to take courage and know that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and to walk in him and to live for him. So let me pray for us, folks. God bless each and every one of you. Look so forward to seeing you. Uh, the day's coming. And let's keep looking up, folks. Our redemption is near. Father, I come before you tonight giving you thanks for the word. We thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and I pray, Lord, for the believers here tonight, the followers, Lord, of you, would have been encouraged through the teaching of your word. Lord, as we look at those disciples, <laughs> wow, Lord, look what you did in them. Look at these men who were knuckleheads, but yet, Lord, you saw through them, and you saw what they would end up being. And Lord, we're so thankful for the grace that you pour upon us, Lord, that you give us grace. You give us the enabling grace of God and you tell us to stand firm in it. And so, Lord, we pray as we stand firm in your grace that we live for you, Lord, that we can take courage and not be afraid. We can see the lessons in life that you teach us. You're never forgetting, giving up on us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we live in these last days that we're living in, Lord, that you would find us faithful, Lord. Help us to be immovable. Help us to see your perfect work and plan. And Lord, as we close tonight, may you give us the Holy Spirit to come upon us, Lord, that we might see every lost person the way you see them. And that you would give us the boldness, Lord, and that open door to share the love of Jesus Christ, to share the kingdom of God for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless each and every one of you. Look forward to seeing you. I'll see you Sunday. God bless you.